0: Thank you, praise team, for leading us in that time of worship of our great God. I'm glad you're here today. love each one of you. I'm thankful for you. We're going to continue our time of worship right now by opening the Word of God and studying in the book of Hebrews. For those of you who are our guests today, thank you for being here. To kind of let you know where we've been over the past few months, we've been studying section by section through the book of Hebrews, and now we come to a group of verses, verses 26 through 39, that are rather difficult verses to interpret, and uh, sometimes they're just flat out hard to preach. But there's a word for us today that we need to hear, and so please turn with me there in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. As you're turning there before we pray, I want to say to you... um, Brother Bobby mentioned this, I think, in this service, or it might have been last service, or it could have been Dustin on the on the announcement video. But I, I want to just push for just a second the importance of our connect groups uh, here in our church, and that's the small group. Some of you may from, be familiar with what's called Sunday school, and it's sort of the same thing. And those connections group, especially a church our size, we need to have those. Uh, Those groups where we can meet together in a more intimate fellowship, we can get to know people and we can learn things there, be ministered to there, we can do ministry there. And so I just encourage you, if you're not a part of a connect group right now, uh, the connect groups for folks who go to worship at 1030, uh, they're at nine o'clock. And so next week, you just have to plan to be here a little early, go by our welcome desk, find out maybe where age bracket you, if you want to share your age, and, and do that. And they'll kind of put you, point you toward uh, a connect group that you could uh, try out to see if it kind of fits you. And uh, you can just uh, uh, have community there. And so I believe it will benefit you greatly in doing that. So I want to just give you that plug. Now, before we pray, many of you probably heard there was a tragedy that happened last night in our community. There was a young man who's a student at Chipley High who passed away, and we want to pray for uh, that family today and those other students that were involved in that. Pray for God's healing touch there and comfort for the family, and also for the student body uh, at CHS and and uh, faculty administration there having to uh, deal with uh, such heartache. And so. We're going to ask the Lord's blessing and comfort in lives there as we pray today. So let's pray together as we prepare to hear the Word of God and as we prepare to continue our worship. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we come before You and we thank You that You are all-powerful. The very same God who did great miracles that we read about in the Word of God is the same God we serve today. Lord, You answer answered prayer then, You answer prayer now you provided then you provide now you are the same god lord today there are many in our community that need comfort they need strength that comes from you our students do lord we ask you to comfort them and strengthen them we pray for the family of those involved especially of the one who passed we ask lord for incredible grace to be poured out on them i pray that many come to know you through this tragic event, and I just pray, Lord God, they would find hope in Jesus. So, Lord, we pray for you to minister there, and Lord, I ask you now that you will open our hearts and minds to hear this word you have for us. It's a passage that's difficult. There's a hard lesson here, Lord, but also a lesson of love here. And so I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts and minds to hear, remove distractions. I ask you, Lord, to give me the ability to be able to communicate the word of God with clarity and conciseness. And so I pray for your hand to be on me right now. Clothe me with ability that you supply to deliver your word faithfully. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through. 39. I want to speak this morning on this subject, faithfully enduring in obedience. Faithfully enduring in obedience. I am um, puzzled because sometimes I'll come across Christians or professing Christians, and I'll also see them on social media and this sort of thing who uh, seemingly uh, make it their mission to bash other believers in particular, other believers that are very committed to the Word of God who are not being, you know, listen, there, there are some believers who are very mean-spirited toward other people. and we know that, but I'm just talking about people who are being faithful to the Lord. They, despite whatever culture is doing, they stand fast and they engage culture being salt and light. They don't compromise and give in to the culture. And there, there's a group sometimes of professing believers that make it their mission to attack these faithful Christians, while they themselves advocate the world 's position. that's very puzzling to me. What's puzzling to me is how desperately some professing believers desire to fit in with the world system. Now when I say world, I'm talking about the world system that has Satan as its hel- at its helm, uh, a system a system of belief and, and ideology, philosophy and practice and Pursuits that are orchestrated by the enemy, that appeal to the fallen flesh of human beings to lead us away from truth and into a life of sin and final destruction. That world system, the Bible says in First John chapter five, verse 19, is, um, again, uh, under the sway of the wicked one. And what's amazing to me is how many Christians want to fit into that system. They want to identify with that system above identifying with the people of God who are standing firm on the truth of God. And that's puzzling. It's puzzling to me how many professing believers that the first sign of opposition and persecution, they want to absolutely retreat from walking boldly with Jesus and, and try to twist the Christian life best they can to fit the world's molds. Do we not know that we're going to face persecution and opposition? Do we not know that our Lord Himself said that the world hated Him and so it's going to hate us? In John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, the Lord said this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In John chapter 7 and verse 7, the Lord Jesus said that the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. And this means that Christians are going to face opposition from the world system around us. And what we are to do is be faithful We are to love even our enemies, and we are to engage that culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to hide in a hole somewhere. We're not called to compromise. We're called to boldly and lovingly engage that culture with the truth of God. When the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had went on the first missionary journey as they went back through those churches, they went into towns and cities, they preached the gospel, people accepted Christ, they formed up congregations of believers, and they, they appointed pastors to lead those churches. When they went back through to, to strengthen these churches, notice what was said of the activity that Paul and Barnabas did. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, that is, to endure, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we're going to enter the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. We suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. There's going to be a level of suffering for the sake of the gospel that Christians do when they're living obediently in this world that we're in. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So how can a true believer, at the first signs of persecution, want to go hide in a hole or want to compromise and, and, and want to back away from... From living boldly for the Lord simply because of the pressure the culture puts on them. We are not to do that. We are to endure faithfully in obedience. The group of Christians that were being written to in the letter of Hebrews were individuals who were Jewish background, they were ethnic Jews, they had accepted the gospel of Christ, so they were saved out of Judaism. And because of this outward pressure, and we find from um, evidence found in the book of Hebrews including part of the passage we're reading today that they were undergoing a type of opposition that they were undergoing a type of persecution and there was a temptation for them to want to walk back into the life of Judaism where they felt like they might be relatively safer than living for Jesus Christ in their culture and the Spirit of God through the writer of Hebrews motivates these believers to hold their confidence in Christ and endure in faithfulness. So with that in mind, let's take a look at these verses. I'll read them, and then we'll dig into them. The Word of God says this, beginning in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now that is a weighty verse that will strike terror in the hearts of anyone (laughs) as we read that and that's why we need to make sure we interpret this verse correctly within its context taking into account all the historical background that's going on here in hebrews for us to really capture what's being said there so there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful and expectation a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose it will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again... The Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the souls. Now, the main idea of this message is this. Because of what Christ has done for us, we must endure faithfully in our obedience to Him and receive reward. The Lord God clearly desires for His people to live for Him. He does not desire us to compromise the truth of God so that we might in some feeble attempt fit in with the culture more and avoid uh, trials and opposition. But we are to live with boldness in Christ. And again, some of these Hebrew Christians had already stopped attending church. They were trying to avoid persecution. So they just decided they'd stop attending church. They'd go stay away from the people of God. And there was a warning for them. There are consequences for that kind of sinful action. And the writer motivates these early believers with three motivations here in this text, which are applicable for us today. Because today, because of the outward pressure... The world's putting on the church. Here's what's happening. Many Christians are compromising. Many professing Christians are embracing the world's culture. Many professing Christians are embracing practices and ideologies that are completely outside of Scripture and clearly condemned by Scripture. And they're choosing that because they want to fit in with the world more than they fit in with Christ. And there's a warning here for us today. That we do not do that, but we endure faithfully. So let me show you these three motivations out of the Word of God. First of all, we're motivated to endure by warning. Verses 26 through 31. Now this section contains the fourth warning that we find in the book of Hebrews. There are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Here's the fourth one, and it's probably the most severe of them all. Before we dig into these verses... Let me say something to you that I said when I was preaching through that very difficult passage of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And what I told you then, and I'll tell you very briefly now, is that I I believe with all my heart that the Scripture teaches the eternal security of the genuine believer. I believe when a person is truly saved, they're truly uh, redeemed, they're sanctified by the Lord, then they stay that way because the Lord keeps them that way. The Word of God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that when a person hears the truth and they believe, they are then sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. In 1 Peter, the Word of God tells us in verses 3 through 5 that we have an inheritance, a living hope, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God through faith. There are multiple verses throughout Scripture that teach that this security of a believer. Now, if a person goes through the motions of being saved and their life does not change and they continue in their sin, what I say is those people are not saved. They never truly called upon the Lord Jesus because the Bible says you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I also believe that when the Scripture teaches with clarity that if a person walks away from the faith... And they, and they apostate the faith. They give evidence they were never saved to begin with. The Apostle John deals with that in chapter 2, verse 19, in the letter of First John. And when those walk away, it proved that they were not of us to begin with, John was saying. And so I, I believe those things. I, but I also believe in, a, in an eternal security. And we need to know that as we begin to work our way in these verses because there are many Christian brothers and sisters who take a passage like today and believe that it means that you can apostate the faith, that you turn away from the faith and you, you there, there is no longer a sacrifice for your sins. They interpret that to mean no longer are you redeemed. You are now unredeemed again. And many believe at that point that there is no chance for you to ever be renewed again, that you are forever and eternally in that State, But I believe what's being said here is there is a warning about God's discipline against His own children when His children are in obe- disobedience to Him. I-, I believe there is a main warning here in this text of, of physical discipline that comes from the Lord against those who are high-handedly rebelling against God, even possibly to the point of physical death. We don't preach on this stuff much anymore. That's why I like preaching through the books of the Bible. You've got to deal with these topics whether you like it or not if you're going to preach through it. And we need to hear these things today. Now let me give you the three main ways in which this text is interpreted. And then I'm going to give you the third will be my position. The first one is... Many Christians believe that this is apostasy being described here. That is, people who were saved, they turn away, and there no longer remains a sacrifice for their sins. Therefore, they lose their salvation, and they are eternally separated from God uh, again. Now, for many reasons, and I've already shared with you some, I do not believe that's the proper way to interpret that because I believe there's so much evidence outside of a passage like that that speaks of eternal security. We've got to look deeper in this text to see what this is talking about here. A second uh, position, and I held to this position for a number of years, and I just really feel like that, uh, that that's not the best interpretation. And that second position is this, and... It, it's a, a, the viewpoint that there are professing Christians within the body of Christ. And because of these outward pressures, they begin to back away and they just leave the church altogether. Uh, and, and, it, and so they have been under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They have heard the Word of God. They have believed intellectually the gospel. And, and they have walked away from, from that uh, and committed a level of apostasy and it proves that they were never genuine believers to begin with. Now, I believe that concept. I've already said that. But I believe there's, I believe it's not being taught here in this text. A third way to look at this text is, and I believe it's the view that takes in mind the context of the book of Hebrews, the best, and takes in mind the Old Testament quotations that are given here and allusions. Remember, there's about 50-something allusions, I think it is, to Old Testament passages in Hebrews, and there's 29, if I, if I got my numbers right, 29 direct quotations of the Old Testament in this. We're talking about Hebrew Christians that would have had full understanding of the Old Covenant. And when some of these terms, like there no longer remains a, 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 a sacrifice for sin... They wouldn't have thought about it the way we do. We would have thought about it automatically, like, okay, well, that's, I guess the person's lost then, or they wouldn't save then to begin with. There's no longer a sacrifice for them. But that's not how that ancient Hebrew would have, would have dealt with that. He would have immediately thought of Old Testament references. Uh, and, and I believe there's one clear allusion here uh, in this text. Uh, I believe there's an allusion here to Numbers chapter 15. When there's a verse like uh, people committing presumptuous sins, what they would have thought of is Numbers chapter 15 where Moses is writing about sacrifices for the sins that are unintentional. And this is what you do when you're committing unintentional sins. I mean, you're going through life and you commit a sin. Oh, yeah, I committed that sin. And then he goes on and talks about what to do with people who commit presumptuous sins, high-handed sin, willful sin and they do not give a prescription for sacrifice for that but what is given for that is an example there to be matter of fact the Bible says that there to be cut off from the people that word cut off there means in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 15 it means to be put to death and that's what would happen and then they give an illustration of that verse 31 and following there's a guy who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath that's a high handed sin he obviously had in his heart it doesn't matter what God's word says I'm going to do what I want to do today and he goes out and picks up sin and you know what happened they stoned him so there was immediate discipline because of that that's where their minds would have gone presumptuous sin does not mean always eternal condemnation now I'll tell you this if you're a lost person and the judgment of God comes upon you and your life is your life is taken then you are sealed in judgment but if you're a saved person and you're involved in some rebellion against God and God uh, and through discipline after a long period of time and you continue to rebel against him and he takes you home to him it does not mean eternal condemnation for you if you are truly a saved person matter of fact if presumptuous sin always meant eternal condemnation then the entire exodus generation of israel that came out of egypt all of those 20 years of age and older would have all went to hell including moses who was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his sin yet we know moses did not enter into hell because we see moses appearing on the mount of transfiguration with elijah who the bible clearly says was taken up to heaven Now, they're on that Mount of Transfiguration during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this willful sin is high-handed disobedience to God. And the expectation for this behavior is judgment, a fiery judgment. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the fires of hell, because in the Old Testament, we find that God judged His people. He used the metaphor of fire to describe how he judged his people. Matter of fact, in uh, the book of Hebrews, let's go back to the book of Hebrews here, where the text we're in today, verse 28 says, And anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what he's saying here is there was punishment, sometimes immediate punishment for presumptuous sins under the old covenant. Take a left in your Bible to chapter 2 real quick. Look at chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. We find something very similar to what he's saying over here in chapter 10. Verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, or a better translation, punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He's saying the same thing there that he's saying right here in chapter 10. He's saying, look, under the old covenant, if there were those who rejected the law of Moses and they they were put to death on the witness of two or three witnesses, he goes on to say in verse 29, 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose... Will he be thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God under foot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? What he's saying here is, if there was punishment for those under the old covenant for these high-handed sins, what about for those under the new covenant? who when they high-handedly disobey and refuse to submit themselves to the Lord, they're actually dishonoring Him. They're trampling the Son of God underfoot. That means to treat with disrespect and disdain and contempt. They are counting the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified, a common thing. They dishonor the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ that forgave us and cleansed us and pulled us out of our sin, separated us uh, uh, to, to God. Then he goes on to say and insulted the spirit of grace. The very one who drew us to the Lord, who convicted us and who opened our hearts to believe so we surrendered our lives to him and then after that he regenerated us to just say I don't care what God's word says I'm going to do what I want to do is an insult to the spirit of God. It's an insult to the precious sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a It is showing an outward disdain for the one who saved us and set us free. And the Word of God says in verse 30, the Lord will judge His people. And it is a fearful thing, verse 31 says, to fall into the hands of the living God. And so this means when we know better and we just reject Him anyway, it results in a serious... Series often of God's chastening in our lives to bring us back to Him. And that chastening is done in love. It is done with the intent to bring us to a point of repentance and renewal of fellowship that we may go on serving God and not keep losing reward and dishonoring Him by the life we're living. Now you may be saying, well that's a lot you're pulling out of that. Well, let me just give you something very, very clear in the New Testament. I'm going to give you exactly what I just told you in a a group of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know the Corinthians, they were in a mess. You know, they had, there were division in the church. There were all kinds of things happening there. Uh, They would meet together for the love feast. They would meet together, the church coming together for a meal, and in that uh, setting, they would also partake of the Lord's Supper and an ordinance established by the Lord to remember His sacrifice. They would break the bread together to remember the body of Christ. They would drink the cup to remember His shed blood that established the new covenant in Him for forgiveness of sin. As they gathered together, there were some who didn't have very much and those who had a lot were not willing to share what they had with those who didn't have a lot. Matter of fact, they were... Uh, they didn't care about others. They weren't showing Christian love. It could be that some of them were even getting drunk in these settings. They were making a mockery of uh, this very sacred event. So here's what Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29-32. through 32. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now listen to this. For this reason, what reason? The unworthy manner in which they're partaking of the Lord's Supper. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That's a euphemism for death. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. There's a lot more I could say about that last phrase, but I don't have time. What we have here is a group of believers who had high handedly disregarded a very special ordinance established by the church. It led to the Lord's discipline on his people for them to repent. Some were weak, some were sick because that does not mean if a person's sick or they or they die what we consider prematurely that they're involved in some presumptuous sin it might be just the will of god that that happens in their life and there's many godly people who've been sick there are many godly people who have died at a young age and you think how why but god has a plan there that we don't we don't know what i'm saying is that there is a presumptuous sin a rebellion that we do so often that can lead to physical chastening of God to bring his people back to a right fellowship with him so they're being motivated by this warning now, that'll get you attention sometimes my, my daddy used to tell me you do that one more time I'm going to tear you up you know what that was that was a warning and you know what I did a lot of times I obeyed what he said sometimes I didn't and he tore me up <laughs> got the discipline but it was an act of love. A second thing we see here, not only are they motivated to endure by warning, they're also motivated to endure by example. We see this in verses 32 through 34. Now, this is interesting. So what he does in verse 32 is he recalls a time in their Christian walk when they were going through the same type of thing they're going through right now. They were going through some persecution. What he's trying to do is, he's trying to get him to say, Look, remember back then? Remember how faithful the Lord was and all you went through and how faithful he was during that time? He's trying to encourage him. Now, look with me in verse 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, that means enlightened, that speaks of they understood the gospel and were saved, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So he says, first of all, he says, you uh, endured a great struggle... You were made a spectacle, verse 33. That word meant to put on a stage. That was an original word, original meaning there for that word. It later became to uh, refer to someone uh, taking insults. So it's probably public insults. Because the word reproaches, you see here in verse 33, it means to insult. So they were, they were getting public insults because of their stand for Jesus Christ, because they were Christians. And they were experiencing tribulations, as you see here. That, that's a word that means possibly they were experiencing some violence. They stood by those who were facing persecution. The world gets after some Christians today, and the rest of the Christians abandon them. They didn't. They stood by them. They stood by them. And, and then it goes on to say here that, that they were... Uh, Even some of them could have been put in prison themselves and and their goods were taken. Maybe their houses were repossessed. Maybe uh, maybe their goods were taken from them and and, and they didn't really care because they realized the treasure they had in Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them, remember those times and endure. You know how faithful he was to you then? He's going to be just as faithful to you right now. Trust him matter of fact maybe that's where some of us are today maybe some of us are struggling we're we're just thinking i don't i don't know you know i've got a lot of pressure on me this i'm facing a lot of temptation and and there's a lot of opposition from the world against me and what i would what i would do is recall past victories that god gave that god gave you in your life or you look around you at those who stay faithful no matter what and you let that example inspire you you go to chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews and you'll see a whole bunch of them right there that, that, uh, that God was faithful to and they, they, they experienced they uh, exercised faith and glorified God by doing that I tell you this he has promised to be our faithful high priest isn't that what we've been studying what that means is he's interceding for us he's helping us He's enabling us. The same God that has helped the heroes of the faith in the past is the same God that's helping us today. So we're being encouraged to endure because of example. But then a third thing he does here is he encourages them and he motivates them by uh, to endure by promise. So the third point here is we are motivated to endure by promise, verses 35 through 39. Now, verse 35 and 36 are key verses for us to look at today. So look with me in your Bible at these verses. Therefore, with this warning in mind, with this encouragement in mind, therefore, do not cast away. That means to throw off. It'd be like... Soldiers headed to battle and suddenly they throw their shields and swords down and they run the other way do not cast off your confidence do not throw away your confidence that confidence there means a bold and open living for the Lord because if you stay faithful and you endure there is great reward you see that in verse 35 there is great reward Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You need endurance. Do the will of God, and you'll inherit the promise. You know what I know? I know sometimes it gets difficult in the Christian life. I know that. Sometimes we're faced with all sorts of pressures and all sorts of persecution, and we face this and we face that, and it just... We get so discouraged, and there are times that we think about, we entertain giving up. Here's what the Word of God says we're to do we're to live by faith, we're to trust the Lord, we're to do the will of God. Because you can be assured of this there's coming a day when the one who is coming will come, he will split heaven, he will return for his people. There is one day he will establish his rule and his reign forevermore. What we know is everyone who has mocked him and, and, and mocked us because we serve him will one day know that we are right. They will submit to him in defeat and confess him, Lord, not unto salvation, but in defeat, having been conquered by him. One day... We'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and be given and be rewarded for our faithfulness to Him. The Word of God teaches us, so what are we to do? We are to maintain a faithfulness to our Lord. We don't give in. We don't compromise. We just stay faithful to Him. Now, he was optimistic, the writer of Hebrews was, because in verse 39 he says, "...but we are not of those who draw back to perdition." That is destruction. And by the way, that word does not have to be translated eternal condemnation. It can simply mean destroy. And he goes on to say, But of those who believe to the saving or the preserving of the soul. And by the way, that word soul can also be translated just life. Physical life. Or you could translate this verse that what we're going to do is we're going to live like real saved people ought to be living we're going to endure and we're going to be faithful so he's motivating us today the spirit of God is through warning through example through promise now as we wrap this up today I want us to look at some application and the first thing I want us to look at is this as a Christian we need to understand that our authority in life is the Word of God. We are to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. It is not culture. It is not what the cultural elites are saying. It is not what everybody is saying on social media. It is not what's being accepted openly by the culture in which we live today. It is not determined by our own Desires and impulses. The authority for my life and your life is the inspired, infallible Word of the living God. He has given to us special revelation, so we will know Him and we will know what He expects of us. We are to submit ourselves to His Word. And when we're faced with whatever, we should say, what does God's Word say? And submit ourselves to Him. The second thing i want us to know we need to apply here today is that is we need to take heed to the warnings god gives us i thank god that he loves us enough to give us these warnings there are warnings here of losing reward eternally losing opportunities while we're here through disobedience sometimes opportunities are gone for good for Christians who have just refused over and over high-handedly to submit themselves to God's will for them. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that some Christians don't really care much about eternal reward as long as they see themselves getting into the kingdom. They're all right with that. Well, that shows their immaturity and their spiritual short-sightedness. But let me tell you what the Word of God teaches us. The Word of God teaches us that there is some levels of discipline we face now. Now. The Word of God says we reap what we sow in the book of Galatians. If we're going to sow to the flesh, we're going to reap from the flesh. And so there's discipline that God will exact upon His people with the goal of those children of His that have strayed to repent and return to following Him so they do not dishonor Him, so they can experience His spiritual blessings, so they can experience future eternal reward. Sometimes, through continued rebellion, there is uh, an act of God that takes Takes one home because of the damage they're doing to the kingdom of God, and because of what is uh, taking place in their life that dishonors God and is causing them to lose reward, and and so that takes place. We've seen it in the New Testament, and so we need to take heed to the warnings of God. So we don't need to continue when we know to do better just continue in rebellion against God. When we know we're called to love at a certain level and yet we don't do it. We just don't want to. And we keep doing that. Or we keep living for the world. And we keep embracing the party life and all of those kind of things and and we just don't want to we just don't want to extract ourselves from that because we just think we're going to lose you know, out on so much, and people are going to think we're you know fuddy duds and all this. If we, if we, if we break free from that, as we just keep living that life, we refuse to serve when we know we're called to. We let everything in the world take us out of church. We don't take serious to things of God, and over and over and over again, we continue to resist the revealed will of God to do our own things. And do we not expect when we dishonor the Lord in that manner that because He is a holy God, and we're, now we're completely covered under the blood of Christ. Now, we've already talked about that. Do we not think that He will not do what's right and exact the, the right discipline upon His children that we deserve in those moments? Do you know the discipline that my parents brought on me helped me be a better man? That's what God's discipline does for us. We don't need to reject these warnings. Finally, I don't think I have this one on the screen for you, but I want to remind you of this application, and that is that the Lord is faithful to help us and reward us he is faithful to help us and reward us he he never calls us to do anything he doesn't give us the power to do in him you know what I read last week in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think according to his power that works in us He's able to do more than I can think. He's able to do more than I can ask. You think He can't help me to live for Him? You better believe He can. You better believe He can. So today, I say, brothers and sisters, do not draw back, but draw near to God. Live for Him. For some of us today, what we need to do is confess the life we're in now What we need to cast off is the world centered life we're living now and follow Jesus. For some in this room today, you need to be saved because you're not. And you've rejected and resisted and you've mocked maybe even the gospel before in your life. But I'll tell you this today, the Holy Spirit of God has you so understanding this truth. You know this. You need to give your life to Jesus right now. We're going to stand to sing in a minute. I'll be right down front. And you just come to me. You say, listen, I need Jesus as my Savior. And we'll help you with that. The altar's open to come pray. Just folks getting things right. But I tell you what we really ought to do. There ought to be many of us hit the altar and pray for the people of God to not draw back, but to draw near to God. And maybe there's people right now in your heart that you're burdened for, and you you want to come pray for them today. Because I'll tell you what what needs to happen today in this country. The church needs to start acting like the church. Part of the problem with the culture we're in today is the church has failed to engage and influence culture with the gospel like we're called to. And it's the anemic lives, spiritual lives of professing Christians that has led to part of what we see to happening today the unraveling of this culture around us well this time the people of God wake up from our sleep and we experience a renewed revival and we live for the Lord with boldness so I'm going to pray and let's obey Him Heavenly Father what a text to be in today Lord it's a hard text to preach But, Lord, it's Your Word, and it needs to be preached. And I believe, Lord God, that I've done with this certainly the best I could ever do, and I thank You for giving me the power to do what was done here. It's all glory to You. Now I pray that You will work in people's lives to surrender to You, to draw close to You, to confess sin and worldliness, Lord, and start following You. So I pray, Lord God, for you to do a work here today that only you can. And so I thank you for it. Move among us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.